Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. A couple of things before we get started. First of all, I was very excited realizing that because of our our new shift to mask optional, you would be able to see my expressions better when I'm preaching so that you would be able to tell when I was making some hilarious comment and you'd be able to laugh at it in a way that you haven't been over the past year. And then it occurred to me that you've been able to see my expressions all this time and nothing is going to change. Obviously, I think we just demonstrated that. Second thing is, because of our text and the emphasis on being strong, I'm going to have to say the word strength a number of times during the sermon, and it's been pointed out to me by many of you that I don't pronounce it correctly. I've tried to correct my pronunciation. I can't say strength any differently than I do. If it sounds normal to you, great. If it sounds weird, I'm sorry, but you'll just have to bear with me as we talk about strength. Speaking of strength, is anybody here tired of having to stay strong? You look at our text, it's interesting. You'll find at the beginning and the end, this encouragement or this admonition, thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. And at the end, fear not, but let your hands be strong. Theologians call uh, a structure like this an inclusio, where the repetition is meant to kind of bracket everything that comes in. And I wish it was just brackets there, but it's also a statement, God encouraging us to be strong. Let your hands be strong, he says. These words, of course, historically are being spoken at the halfway point as the people are rebuilding the temple. So they're halfway through the work. They don't realize that yet. And God is now speaking to them and saying, essentially, stay strong. Keep up your strength. Keep being strong. But do you ever get tired of having to be the strong one? Are you ever weary of constantly having to renew your strength. Whenever somebody says to you, takes you aside and says, now listen, I'm going to need you to be strong. Does anything good ever come after that? Does anybody ever say, I'm going to need you to be strong because you just won the lottery? I'm going to need you to be strong because I just paid off your mortgage for you. Nobody ever says that. It's always, I'm going to need you to be strong because I'm about to tell you some bad news. I'm going to need you to be strong because things have gone wrong again. And so you're going to have to suck it up and be strong. Never because something good is about to happen. It's always because something bad is about to happen. It's because you're not going to get what you want. And you're not going to like what you get. So I'm going to need you to be strong yet again. That constant need for strength, that constant need to be strong and to stay strong can be tiring. If you're the person in your family, if you're the person in your relationship who has to be the strong one, if you're the one who has to pick up the slack time and time again, that can get old. You're the person in your church who has to be the strong one. It gets old over time. And here God says, Let your hands be strong. Keep being strong. 
Last time, we got a message from God that was specifically addressed to those of us who were struggling to have hope. We're struggling to believe in the possibility of rebuilding. And today, in this text, we have a message from God, and it's a message tailor-made to those who are tired of having to stay strong. If you have had enough of having to be strong, then these words are God speaking to you. What you need to know is this, that when God calls you to be strong, it's not because something bad is about to happen. Through the grace of the gospel, God declares the bad days are over, and now God is doing something entirely new. It's because of that new thing that God is doing that you no longer need to be afraid. God calls you to strength, but not for the reason that the world calls you to be strong. God calls you to be strong in order to possess the promise that he has given you. Remember, in the book of Joshua, at the very beginning, when Joshua embarks on his mission, God speaks these same words to Joshua. In fact, whenever you come across a passage in Scripture that's encouraging you to be strong, I want you to think about Joshua chapter 1. I want you to remember the words to Joshua and the context. You look at Joshua chapter 1. This is actually repeated several times, but we'll just look at verses 6 and 7. This is how God speaks to the future conqueror of the promised land. Be strong and courageous, God says, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. When God comes to Joshua and he tells Joshua to be strong, it's not because something bad is about to happen, it's because something good is about to be done. Something wonderful is about to take place. The people of Israel are about to inherit the promise that they have waited on for generations. That's about to happen. And as that glory is about to take place, God says, be strong. Be strong in this time of blessing. Joshua needs to be strong, not because there's something that relies on him, and that if he's not strong, it won't come to pass. It won't get done. He needs to be strong because something is going to be done through him and for him. He is going to be used by God in order to bring about this glorious new work, this fulfillment of the promise. And that's why God tells him to be strong. And as God speaks to you and God says yet again, be strong, let your hands be strong, remember this, that God calls you to strength because you too are entering the promise, because you too are inheriting the blessings that have been promised to you by God. And God is working in you and through you to do something good. And so he calls to you and says, be strong. The problem with human strength is that there's always a limit. You'll always reach the bottom of that well. And so our strength must constantly be renewed. No matter how strong you are at the beginning, you will be weak soon enough. 
The people began the rebuilding of the temple with a lot of zeal and a lot of enthusiasm as the prophets themselves have spoken and said this work will be accomplished. But halfway through, it's tiring. Halfway through, they're ready for it to be done. Something needs to renew their flagging strength. This always happens along the way. John Calvin says, no matter how firm you are, your strength must be renewed. And how is your strength renewed? It's renewed by hearing God's voice. There's a reminder here to the people, you heard the voice of God through the prophets when this work began. And now you hear God speaking once again to you through the prophets so that your strength will be renewed. God spoke to them once, He speaks to them now. And God's speaking is what builds up and renews our strength. Calvin says, when God is silent, our minds, though before abundantly ready and willing, must languish and at length wholly fail. When God is silent, our strength fails. But the point of Zechariah's words here is God isn't silent. God is reminding them, I'm speaking to you. I spoke to you then, I'm speaking to you now. And the strength that I'm speaking of is yours as you hear my voice and are renewed. I know we look back on those times, this age of signs and miracles, and we say to ourselves, our situation is a little bit different. It would be easier for me to renew my strength if I was hearing from God the way that they did. If I was getting it the way that they got it, then it would be different. The thing about it is, though, you are hearing from God exactly in the way that they did. God spoke to them through the prophets. The words of those prophets have been written down for us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and you are hearing them speak a living and active word to you, the voice of God speaking to you now as He spoke to them, saying the same thing for the same reason. Strengthen your hands as you enter into the promise. God is renewing your strength. God is making you strong in the midst of your weakness, because He intends to bless you, because He has begun a new work, and this new work is going to change everything. God is sowing something new here. God is planting a new crop. He is sowing peace, we see in our text. But it's important for you to be able to look at the field where the crops are planted and distinguish between God's old work and his new work. If the people felt discouraged, if we feel discouraged, it's because we look around and we see a lot of reason to be discouraged. They saw a lot of destruction. They saw a lot of despair. They saw a lot of bad things that had taken place. Buildings had been torn down. People had been destroyed. The city that they loved had been taken from them, and now it was their job to rebuild it, which seemed impossible. All of this naturally led to despair. It led to discouragement. In the same way that when we look around, we see all the the destruction, the death, the injustice, the failure, the, the 
non-materialization of our dreams, all of that is calculated to make us weak. God understands. God sympathizes. It's not just that he understands because he knows about this stuff. He says he understands because he caused it. For before those days, there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. What's he talking about? There is a futility in life that is a direct result of human sin. The book of Ecclesiastes chronicles this futility, the meaninglessness of life under the sun. Everywhere you look, you see the consequences of our brokenness, our sinfulness working itself out, perpetuating that cycle of sin and of evil. The consequences of our sin are a constant reminder of our failure and make it difficult for us to persist in hope. God says, I set every man against his neighbor. I don't want you to to misunderstand what's happening here. In other words, the futility that surrounds you, the death and destruction that surrounds you, the injustice that surrounds you. I did this. Like, oh, but I thought God was a God of love. He is. But he's also a just judge. When he points to things, I did this. What he's saying to you is, this is the just punishment for sin. This is the penalty for sin. In the same way that after Babel, God confused the languages of the people and, so to speak, set every man against his neighbor, he did that as a consequence of their sin of pride. Because you couldn't defy God without consequences. You couldn't indulge in sinful pride without judgment and punishment coming back. The returned exiles experienced this firsthand. Remember, they had neglected the house of God. They were building up their own houses. They were concerned with their own lives. And as a result, all their efforts came to naught. Their businesses failed. Their crops failed. Their lives were miserable, even though they were doing the kind of thing that's supposed to result in success. God would not allow it to be blessed. He would not allow there to be a return on those efforts because of their sin. It was a kind of judgment meant to bring them to repentance. And we can look at that and we can understand and it helps you to see why the world is the way it is so that you don't find yourself in these these facile philosophical cul-de-sacs where you're saying, well, how can a loving God permit evil in the world? when you understand that the evil that we see all around us is of our own making and consists in part of a punishment for our rebellion against him. But what you have to understand here, that where the people of God are concerned, that punishment is the old work. That punishment is the thing God did before. And now he's saying, I'm doing something new. I'm planting something new. Where before I set every man against his neighbor, now I am sowing peace. The difficulty is that the old work and the new work are all kind of mixed together in the field. And so sometimes it's hard to tell one from the other. 
for an object lesson, if you're thinking about this this afternoon, you should drive by the Bertrand household and gaze upon our yard, and you'll see a good example of the old work and the new work mingled together. The debris of last year, but also the new growth of this year. When I look at the yard, what I see is the new, because I know the old is passing away. We're not where we want to be, but we're getting there. And so it's encouraging and hopeful. But you could also go and look at the old and think, well, the old is what defines this place. And that's what we often do. We see the the debris left behind from the punishment on sin. And we think to ourselves, well, that's just the way it's always going to be. The failures, the, the inability to have our work rewarded, that's just the way of the world. But what God is saying to us is don't let the ongoing consequences of sin blind you to the ongoing signs of renewal and grace. God's new work is the work that he wants to be known by. He calls it sowing of peace. And he gives examples to kind of help you understand what this involves. He's saying your efforts will now be rewarded, not thwarted. You will possess the fruit of your labor. And the metaphor he uses is one of harvest. You're going to plant crops and those crops are going to grow. You think, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. And that is a metaphor, a sign of human flourishing in general. That the effort you make will be rewarded. That the things that you do will actually pay off. That your obedience will be blessed and not punished. That's the way it ought to be. Or in the words of the psalmist in Psalm Chapter 1, talking about the righteous man, he says, in all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, he prospers. That's human flourishing. That's what God is speaking about here. You go back to Genesis 3 and you see the curse. As a result of sin, the curse has implications on the ground. No longer will your efforts be easily rewarded. You're not just going to scatter seed and get a bumper crop. Instead, everything is going to be hard. You're going to work hard to get a little, not a lot. And that's because of sin. Here, the reason why we get the agricultural metaphor is that God is speaking of a new work that undoes that curse. That the people who were once a byword for cursing will now become a blessing. That's what's happening. That your work will now be rewarded. God's sowing of peace will reverse the enmity between creation and human beings. It will reverse the enmity between neighbor and neighbor, and the ground will yield its bounty under your hands. God is sowing peace, but you have to remember that peace in Scripture is shalom. And shalom is not just the absence of conflict. Shalom is not just we don't happen to be fighting today. Shalom is wholeness. Shalom is completeness. Shalom is flourishing. Shalom is things being the way that they should be, the way that they were before sin entered the picture. So be strong, God says, because I'm making you whole, giving you shalom. I'm causing you to flourish. You can see the hope sprouting in the here and now. So long as you ignore the weeds. In order to see the new work that God is doing in your life, 
You have to ignore the ravages of the old and believe in the new growth of grace that you see around you. That shalom is what means there is now nothing for us to fear. God is giving us shalom. He says to his people, once you were a curse, now you will be a blessing. The way Calvin puts it is, God here in this passage is assuring us that the remnant of his people will abound in all good things. You can see it if you look at our text. The vine gives, the ground gives, the heavens shall give. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess. I will save you and you shall be a blessing. God will give the blessing and his people will possess the blessing. They will actually lay their hands on the blessing that God has given. In other words, in your everyday work, in your lives, in your obedience, you are planting crops. But God is planting peace. God, through you, is planting wholeness. He's planting shalom. The work that you do now, God says, will not be futile work. Despite what you think, despite the setbacks, this work will not be futile. This building will rise. These crops will flourish. The punishment for sin that's still with us, that still wears us down, will not have the final word. Because the final word will be peace. The final crop, the final thing that God will do will be shalom. And that's where our hopes should be directed. And if that's true, what God intends to do is give peace and wholeness, completeness. And there is no reason to fear. Our brackets aren't exactly the same. At the beginning of our text, we're told to have strong hands. Let our hands be strong, but at the end we're told, fear not, but let your hands be strong. Scripture constantly assuring us to have no fear. It's because of this that we need to have no fear. What God is doing in us and through us is something we shouldn't be afraid of. God is giving us peace. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The gift of peace is also a gift of fearlessness. But honestly, if my faith was not in Jesus, then all the evidence of judgment in this life would make me give up on being strong. But for the fact that I have faith in Christ, but for the fact that your hope is in Jesus Christ, you would have every reason to give up. Because the constant demands to be strong, to be strong, and yet again to be strong, would be too much knowing that you can never be strong enough. If it's up to you to be the strong one and your strength can never be enough, that is certainly a hopeless place to find yourself. But the peace that God promises us will not be won by human strength. It will not be earned through obedience or our work. Instead, 
can only be granted graciously. It is a gift. And it is a gift that is turning the cursed ground of our lives into a field of blessing. So as God sows peace in your life, let your hands be strong. Because God is working in you to bring you into a blessing, not only in the world to come, but in this life as well. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.